Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is a jazz interview podcast that brings you lives and stories of the people who make this great music. All this week, we've been coming to you live from the Rochester International Jazz Festival, and I got a great interview today with trombonist Robin Eubanks that seems to merit its own show. So here it is, the Robin Eubanks interview, after you hear Robin's band, EB3. And as you're listening, I encourage you to remember that there are only three people in the band. I'm just saying. Trombonist Robin Eubanks. He's in town tonight with his EB3 band. And uh, Robin, I'm not sure people are going to be able to believe what they hear tonight when you guys are on stage. This is a band that uh, makes a, a lot of uh, a lot of noise happen, a lot of great music happen with just three people, and it sounds like a like a sextet. Talk about uh, who's in the band tonight, including a special special guest. Oh yeah, well, uh, Kenwood Denard on drums and keyboard bass, and Michelle Rosewoman is filling in for Oren Evans on keyboards and keyboard bass. Actually, Michelle has been in the band, was in the band before Oren was, so she's just making a return visit. Nice. <laughs> and then you play not only trombone, but also kind of digital drum pad as well, right? Yeah, and, and the electric trombone, and, you know, whatever, assorted things, whatever needs to be done, and, and keyboard bass every now and then. Now, you've been playing with electronics for a long, long time. How did you, how did you first get that idea and, and really learn your way around the, the various electronic effects? Um, this is something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. When I was a little kid, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of funk and rock and and uh, it's like I say in the DVD and I, I'm, and I had a trombone in my hand <laughs> and uh, in some ways it didn't blend in as the way I wanted wanted it to. I mean, the, I, the close, the only trombones that I heard and in the music that I was listening to back then was uh like Fred Wesley was the first person for sure uh playing with James Brown in fact the first trombone solo I ever learned was a Fred Wesley solo and I, I got a chance to meet him at the North Sea Jazz Festival in Holland um several years ago and I told him that story and uh we, we became friends and I recorded he asked me to record on one of his albums also so it, it's nice, and I'm glad that I'm, we're still in, in communication with each other. 
the last time I've had Fred on numbers of my shows a number of times because he's in Rochester a lot, and uh, I asked him once um, who he was listening to in the trombone world, and yours was the first name he mentioned. So it sounds oh, like cool. the respect goes both ways, which is nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's nice. So, uh, um, but a lot of, you know, I was listening to, then, then a lot of those horn bands came around Chicago and Brillet, Sweat, and Tears and Tower of Power, Cold Blood, and, you know, even... Um, you know, Mandrill, Cool in the Gang, everybody had horns. <laughs> and um, so, but, but I was really listening to a lot of the rock stuff. I was way into Led Zeppelin and Grand Funk and Black Sabbath and all kinds of crazy stuff. And, uh, and the, you know, just the acoustic trombone didn't blend the way I wanted it to. So um, there's been a lot of um, unusual influences in, in terms of, um, getting electronics with the trombone. In fact, Al Gray, who was a trombonist with Count Basie's band for many, many years, he he was in the Philadelphia area. We, you know, back then in Philly, every neighborhood had a band, and his son Mike Gray was in a band in Germantown, and um, and Kevin and I had a had another band that we were playing with, and so we were all friends. We all knew each other, and uh, Al, when he was Al Gray, when he was come back off the road with uh, Count Basie or Sammy Davis or whatever gig he was doing, he would get us together to read charts and stuff, and and encouraged us to get our reading and you know playing some jazz type music. And he also had this thing where he he uh, had a mouthpiece that he he could get drilled, and you put a little pickup on it, and you could run it through some stuff because. Um, Eddie Harris was doing a lot of stuff like that back then. And, and there was this Barkus Berry pickup this company that had a little pickup that some people were using. But that was the first time I had ever even heard of it. And I gave him one of my mouthpieces to drill. And, but it, you know, it was kind of weird when I got it back to have a hole in my mouthpiece. You had to keep this plug on it, and it blew a little different. So, um, And all of, basically all it was doing back then was just amplifying it so it's, it's like what's the point and then then I got the ideas of after listening to hearing people like Eddie Harris and he was doing he did all kinds of uh, electronic stuff with his saxophone and um, then I started thinking about trying to um, plug in my horn into like a phase shifter or a wah-wah pedal I remember Freddie Hubbard did something I think it was Freddie, but I also on trombone J.J. Johnson on um, I think it was a Pentacles record played a Freddie Hubbard composition Mr. Clean I think it was and he he had some electronics on his horn and so you know it's, it's not like I was the, by far not the first person to to come up with this but it was a sound that I was hearing and things that I wanted to do and one time I was a uh, guest soloist with a band in um, Switzerland. And the saxophone player had a mic clipped on his bell. And when we, at the break of the rehearsal, I asked if um, if I could take his mic off his bell and put it on my bell. And then I, then I asked the guitar player if I could plug this mic into his setup. And all these bells and whistles went off in my head. And so I bought one of those microphones, and that was the real beginning of me doing it. And in a way that um, made it possible for me to get to where I am now.
And now you've taken it a lot farther. I mean, you have tunes where you create an entire horn section live by having loops, and then you harmonize with the loops, and yeah. then you go to the drum pad, and yeah, you've the... got one Latin tune, right, where you're the whole band. Right. I have a play about nine different parts, <laughs> a layer about nine different parts, to get, and then I solo on top of all of that. But the technology's just developed to a, a really uh, nice level, and it made it possible for me to do all this stuff, and it's just uh, using... You know, whatever you hear, creativity or however you hear. I mean, some people could care less about it, which is fine, too. But people who are so inclined, um, it's it's a really good time for that kind of thing. And a lot of horn players are are really jumping on these electronics things now. Because, you know, for us, it's like a brave new world. And uh, it, it just opens up a lot of possibilities that we never had before. That, you know, guitar players and keyboard players had had access to all this stuff for many many years and um now it's hard we, we get a chance to play <laughs> play with it but I, I just love it it's, it's to me it's i always i tell people it's like you've had black and white all your life and now you get to add colors to it so it's just it's just another tonal palette for me it just adds extra colors that i can use <laughs> different music because of the, the things that you can do? Do you find yourself composing differently for EB3 than yeah. for the big well, band? Yeah, well, I'm Quinter? trying to... Uh, most of the stuff that we're doing right now are, are just adaptations of compositions that I've done before. And there's a couple of things, like uh, this one called Mojo Jojo, that, which is uh, that I wrote specifically for EB3. And I'm writing more stuff now. And um, so I'm, I'm still hearing how to utilize everybody's potential because you have to think about a lot more things you have to take a lot of um things in consideration because because it's, you you have three people but people can do two things so you're trying to say so can kingwood play this and play the drum part or can the keyboard player play this bass line and play this melody at the same time so it's a lot of different things that i have to think on which sound do i want to use and so I'm still piecing all that part together, but it's but it's um it's fun and it's challenging and it's new and it's fresh and I think it's uh, and the all the um the early uh, feedback from the um, DVD has been amazing. I've, I've been actually shocked by some, some of the quotes people are have been uh, putting in some of the reviews. <laughs> well, I think it's so smart that you you put it out on DVD because people need to see it. To really understand right. what's well, going that was, on. That was the whole thing. Actually, I saw Lonnie Plaxico. Um, I went. I went. 
I was hanging out in uh, New York on Saturday night, I guess it was, and I saw Lonnie Plaxico at uh, Sweet Rhythm, the club in the village, and um, and I told him that I've been giving him credit because Lonnie had played in my other band, Mental Images, for many years, and uh, we were doing a, uh, a, a showcase for Western Arts Alliance uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was EB3, and uh, Ravi Coltrane's band was playing also. And um, Lonnie was playing that gig with Ravi, Lonnie and George Colligan. <clears throat> and um, after the set, Lonnie came up to me and told me how visual it was, because I'm in the front, I can't see what's going on. You know, I'm, I don't know what's going on behind me. <laughs> but they said it's very visual, and you know, people are switching the bass parts are going back, and, and then I'm doing all this looping and layering and things like that and 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 Lonnie told me he said you should never play with a bass player again in your band and I'm your bass player <laughs> <laughs> so uh I said wow is it really that good you like that he said man this is he said y'all sound like a band and he said I was like really you know I couldn't I don't know <laughs> I'm slow <so. laughs> cuz I hear all the imperfections and I hear what was supposed to be happening here and, and it didn't happen and so I hear I'm just very critical so but it was somebody who has played all this music for like 10 years with me in another band to hear it done with in a three-piece setting and he's you know and then he said you know it's very visual and he said you should record this and you got to do this and that and I said, that's when I started really thinking seriously about it and I, and I realized that when you're just listening to it for instance if if you're listening to me do the solo Latin piece, it just sounds like another piece is coming in one piece at a time, and it's like, yeah, it's okay, but you know, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> completely different um, uh, impact and bring in a lot more significance and the same thing when you hear the band that uh, you hear about you know it sounds like maybe four or five people or more sometimes and and when you see it's just three people and there's no bass player and all this other stuff it you're what you're seeing and what you're hearing don't match up the, it, with your normal paradigm so it's uh so it brings a lot. The visual aspect brings a whole lot to the to to the music when you hear this band, and that's why one of the reasons I'd said we definitely have to bring a DVD. Now, one of the moments that 
I had just never seen anything like before was Kenwood Denard playing both the keyboard bass with his left hand and then hi-hat, bass drum, snare drum to keep the rhythm going with only his right hand. I, whose idea was that? Had he done that kind of thing before? Oh, that's his idea, totally. <laughs> yeah, he, he, I've known Kenwood for a long time, since the, in the 80s. Mm. Actually, he did some gigs with my band, with that Mental Images band, and um, and we did, we did another thing in, in Poland and some other stuff. And uh, and he, I'd known him for a while, and he, I remember in New York he had a whole thing where he was he did a one-man band thing where he played keyboards. He had a, two bass drums at a snare on the inside of one, so he had a bass and snare, and he played bass parts with his left hand, played the chords with his right hand, and he was singing. <laughs> <laughs> so he he's he's um, pioneered a lot of that kind of stuff. So, and I and I actually kind of forgot about it when um when we were doing the uh, when I called him to to come into the band, and then one because my original thing was to have the keyboard player play the bass parts. Like, like, which, which you would normally think would happen, and uh, and um, you know, because he made it so, like, if he's not doing a the gig, then it causes a lot of problems for me if, with another drummer. So that's why I was trying to heavily lean on the keyboard player to play the bass parts. But he asked me, he said, uh, uh, "Can I play? Try playing some bass parts?" And I said, "Sure," and it worked out really well. And I. Knew he could do it, but I, you know, I was trying not to lean too heavily on it because if he can't, you know, like I said, if I had to sub, get a sub for him, there's nobody else that can do that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but he's been making, he's been making the gigs, and it's and it's worked out well. It's a mutual, a mutual thing because uh, he doesn't have that kind of the kind of opportunity to do that in too many bands. So I. And, it's, and in this kind of setting, the more you can do, the more you bring into the table, the more valuable and more you can bring to the music. And then let's round it out by talking about uh, normally Oren Evans and tonight Michelle Roselman and what, what they bring to the band. You mentioned that Michelle actually was in the band before Oren, yeah. which I didn't know. Yeah, because uh, Michelle's really, really talented. And uh, uh, actually, I used to play in her. I did some did some gigs and a couple some touring with her band. She has a band called Quintessence, and she's a really talented composer and and very very into uh, um, like African music and and Latin music, and uh, she studied that extensively. So I knew she had the independence in in her playing in terms of being able to play bass parts because I remember in a lot of her compositions. In her band, she played a lot of the bass part, bass lines, and she writes really intricate stuff. So, so I knew she could do it, and I was glad she was able to um, um, do it when I asked her to. And um, Oren Evans is a really uh, is a young pianist from uh, Philadelphia, and he's done uh, done a lot of things, and he's very fluent with uh, electronic keyboards and and using. Uh, computer-based uh, virtual synth kind of sounds. And um, I know he has a little kind of like a little uh, funk band group that he um, records with and plays with. Uh, and uh, But I also knew him from uh, my... He's a very good friend of my brother, Dwayne. And they came up and played a lot in Philly. So he's, he's really creative. And uh, we got to play a lot with the Mingus Big Band and 
Uh, I just wanted to um, see if he had eyes or was into doing it, and he was, and um, I'm glad he was. We d we just did a tour in uh, Europe in uh, April, and it went re really, really well. And the thing that's really interesting about the Orin is that the music on the DVD, when we played the DVD, that was only the second time that the three of us had played together in front of people. No way. The second time. <laughs> That's amazing. It was. I mean, I was, it was, I was amazed how well it came off for, I mean, we just had a couple of rehearsals and we did a little gig at this uh, place called Tonic in New York. And then a few days later, we brought this audience in and, and, and recorded a live DVD in front of them. <laughs> so I, I knew that um, if we sounded that good after when the second time we got to play, that once we get to do some touring and playing and gelling and learning each other's you know, tendencies, that it had a lot of potential. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what we can get into. That's amazing. Before uh, before we close, we should mention some of the other bands that you're touring with this summer. I know you're playing in Montreal uh, with Dave Holland's band, right? Right. Uh, yeah, well... We're we're in our tenth year. Yeah, <laughs> with the Dave Holland Quintet. So, and you're an original oh, member, yeah. all ten. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, been been fun. It's been developing, and it's still growing, which is pretty amazing after all this time. But uh, uh, we're still having fun doing it, and Dave's definitely down to do it. I mean, he's got you know, the band has gotten so bit popular that he had to get some spinoff bands. <laughs> so he had the big band, which and. In, the big bands put out two recordings and both won Grammys. And uh, and you wrote music for yeah, I wrote music for the last one. And we're, I guess we'll have to record another one soon. <laughs> and I have some charts that I'm bringing in for that. And uh, and now he's just starting a sextet also, which we're playing at the Blue Note in August. And then we're going to go record. And the sextet is, is completely different. Uh, so who's in that band? Um, I'm the only person that's in all three bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and Dave. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and also he has uh, Antonio Hart on alto sax and Alex Sipiagin on trumpet, and they both play in a big band. And um, uh, Mulgrew Miller is playing piano, and Eric Harlan is playing drums. Not bad at all. No, no. So it should be should be pretty cool. So um, I suspect that we'll be doing some touring with that next year since we're recording. So you know, it's it's just strange. Like now, you have to you put out you you get to put out one record a year, and I guess that tells me who I'm going to be touring with the next year. <laughs> <laughs> Are you writing charts for the sextet? As well? Uh, yeah, he he's asked me to, so I'm trying to. I have one that we've been playing, but I'm thinking of writing a new one, and I'll just see how it goes. I got to get on it because we're touring. Um, the quintet's gonna after Montreal. We're going to Europe for three weeks, and then after that, I'm the last week of July. I'm EB3. This band is with Oren is going to Brazil, so. I don't have a lot of time to uh, get new music together, so I'm going to have to do it this month within the next few weeks if um, we're going to play it. 
Well, I know you need to get the sound check, and I uh, thank you for taking all this time just oh, getting sure. into town. It's really been fun talking to you. Thank you for coming up and talking. My pleasure. All right. That's Robin Eubanks and EB3. Until next time, you've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. Please visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com for live and up-to-the-minute reports from the 2007 Rochester International Jazz Festival, featuring reviews, music samples, and interviews, and more. You can also find a link to subscribe to the show. That's the best way to always make sure you've got the most recent episode right there on your computer whenever you want it. I write interviews and reviews for allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. If you'd like to contact me or book an artist on the show, 
You can send an email via the contact page at thejazzsession.com. You'll also find the phone number and snail mail address there. And you can join the mailing list. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on this show, plus other news from the jazz world. The theme music is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com, and thanks to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you very much for listening. Support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.